Thank you, Grace. Um, I don't have the clicker up here for the PowerPoint. I, I suppose you're going to just help, help me in the back. Uh, that'll be fine. Yeah. Last Sunday, New Year celebration lunch, it was just fantastic. <laughs> um, we had good food, uh, eight-course meal. I, was, I never had um, most of the salad that we had. Um, yeah, yeah, no, jellyfish. I, I never had that before, but it was interesting texture. It was good. <laughs> Thanks. And then... Um, uh, the, the fellowship was just, you know, outstanding. I, I sat with the a family, Brian and his wife and his uh, three kids. So as soon as I heard that, I was thinking ahead, like, okay, there's going to be a lot of leftovers today. It turns out his three kids, they love Chinese food. <laughs> so I, I saw them eating and eating and eating, and it was just so much fun. We just need to do this once a month. Yeah, <laughs> and we had a, a little fun game. And we, they asked questions, and I got to know a lot about our church that I didn't know before. So it was all good. And like I said, I wish we could do this every Sunday, if not once a month. Yeah, that that would be really good. <laughs> so we've been doing this uh, study, sharing about Jonah for the past couple of months now, and. We're here at chapter 4 now, the last chapter. We just have a couple more Sundays to go. And I don't know about you, but I'm already sad that uh, we have to finish this book. I wish we would kind of go back to chapter 1 and just restart everything and and observe different things. But uh, that's not how it's going to go. But I trust that uh, you are being blessed, that that you are um, re-examining this book. Uh, It's not just for the kids. It's for adults as well. So there's a story of a father and his newborn baby. So one night, wife observes her husband who is standing over a crib and looking at the baby. And he will step back, and he will go back, and he will shake his head, and he will just utter out different words, like, amazing. She's so precious. This is just just wonderful. So just listening to this, the wife was moved. Her eyes glistened, and she went over to her husband, put her arms around him, and she whispered, Penny, for your thoughts? And without any hesitation, the husband replied, It's amazing. And she goes, I know. He goes, Look at this. I mean, if you really take the time and look closely, it's amazing that someone will build this wonderful crib and then charge only $45.99. When you miss the big picture and become myopic in just your own observation, it could happen, right? Well, that story of Jonah, you see, as he was somewhat following God, receiving second and third and fourth chances, and delivering his message, he missed the big picture. You see, God is God of all people. They all belong to God. God said, not just Israelites, Ninevites too. They're my people. Jonah missed this big picture. Wait, wait, wait. We're the chosen nation. 
Israelites, you are our God. You love us and only us. When you become myopic in your own views, sometimes you even try to correct God. That's what Jonah has been doing all this time. He's wrestling with God. God's will, my will. And today I want to present Jonah in a different picture, a baby. He's a baby prophet because it doesn't matter if he makes sense or not. Jonah just wants to express his feeling. And God, this is what I think. Again, it doesn't matter if it makes sense or not. Jonah's going to blur out whatever is in his heart. And he thinks that's the right way. And it's unfortunate. So we talked about his sermon, right? Pastor's dream. Eight-word sermon. I mean, how long does it take that? I mean, to prepare this kind of message. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's all he said. So he goes to a foreign country with God's message. And we know Nineveh. Nineveh is a great city. God said himself. But then we also know Nineveh is a great city in that they're a great city of sinners. They gained this power. Their empire, Assyrian empire, lasted over 500 years. How did they do it? Because they would conquer people. They, you know, pounce people, and they, do, they did whatever they wanted to do. They were known for their evil. They wrote a book on torture. So he goes to this city, the capital city of this empire called Nineveh. These people, they're powerful. They're sinners. They've been around. So what does he say? 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's all he says. And God works behind the scenes. And the people, they responded from little kid all the way to the king. In fact, king made a decree, remember? Everyone should wear sackcloth and confess and turn from your evil ways. He said it. He admitted that they were evil. So people followed voluntarily. They repented. They prayed. And they fasted. Even the animals. I mean, this is a miracle. Because we know people don't want to change. Evil people, that's what they are known for. They don't want to change. They want to do whatever they think is right, whatever they want to do. But these people, they changed. All the while, not having any assurance that this God that they never knew before, that they never worshipped before, that this God might forgive them. They just said, who knows? Maybe this God will relent. Maybe this God will change his mind and forgive us. I mean, logically, is this possible? Assyrians are more powerful than Israelites. They could just come down and take care of this small country anytime they want to. They have their gods. One of them, remember, fish god, Dagon. So who cares about the God of Israel. Our God is more powerful because we're a more powerful nation. They could have said that. They could have just drove out Jonah, a foreigner. But somehow this message touched them. God's miracle. In the meantime, what was happening back at home? 
Jonah was around during the time when uh, Israel was divided. Northern kingdom, Israel. Southern kingdom, Judah. We know northern kingdom had 19 kings, but none were righteous. They were evil. They went against God. So people, they were filled with idol worship. They turned away from God. So as God's prophet, Jonah was representing God, sharing them God's messages. No one responded. He was hoping, he was praying that people would listen to him. God's message. But no one did that. But now here he is in Nineveh, a foreign country, Gentiles, sinners, evildoers, and they are responding to the gospel, the good news. And they're turning to God. They're repenting, praying, and fasting. Better than Jonah. Jonah couldn't tolerate that. So he was angry at God. This is the passage that we come to. This is how Jonah responded. When he should have been ecstatic, blissful, exuberant, right? He shares God's message. And people are responding. This is something that he's been waiting for, and yet he is angry. Look at verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? Apparently, he had this discussion before. He ran to Tarshish because he knew this might happen. That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, and a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah knew God. This wasn't the first time around. God called him before to serve him. He represented God. He experienced God better than most. So he knew God's attributes, that he is gracious, you know, undeserving, and yet God almost cannot help himself but to reach out to people's needs. Whatever they need, God is like on standby. He just goes and he provides grace, undeserving. He knew God was gracious. He knew God was compassionate. This is a Hebrew word, rahum, that describes mother's womb, you know, where new life begins, and then life is sustained. There's something about moms, right? They have special connection with children, especially when they're pregnant. They're connected. When they're sick, baby's sick. When baby's sick, they're sick. Only difference is that they would rather suffer all the time, even for the baby. They will not hesitate. Other around, maybe not so much. This is mom. Well, this is what this word describes. When God is compassionate, this is what it is. I would rather suffer. So I'm going to send my son to suffer for your sins on the cross. I would rather suffer than see you suffer. Compassionate. And then God is also slow to anger. I mean, 
how many of us? If God remembers our sins and provides what we deserve, that is, punish us for our sins, how many of us could stay alive? How many of us could be here on Sunday freely and worship God? Low probability. Praise God that He's slow to anger. And then, abounding in love. This is where we get the famous word, hesed. This is God's faithfulness, His steadfast love in this relationship. See, God initiates this relationship with us. And in order to keep this relationship, in order to grow in this relationship, not God, but us, He provides this steadfast love. From His end, there's no condition. He does things so that we could wake up and turn back to Him and all those things. But in the end, He reaches out with His love, faithful love of God. That's what? Has it is, abounding in love. These are good things. Jonah has no issue with all these things, except when God extends all these things to Ninevites, Jonah said, what on earth is going on? So I made that little thing. Jonah is acting like a baby. He's immature. It doesn't make sense, but he's now just complaining to God left and right. Why are you doing this? You love us. We serve you. Yeah, we're not perfect, but we worship you. We offer sacrifices to you. I'm there too, better than most. And if we have someone like Assyrians attacking us, you should punish them. And then you make yourself known. God, you should do these things. This is what Jonah's thinking. But when God said, no, look at the big picture, Jonah. They're my people too. I want to extend my grace, slow to anger, my compassion, abounding in love, Jonah said, no, no, no. This is not right. You know, babies' tendencies, they love their mommies and daddies, right? But what happens when their mommies and daddies love other people? They were like, oh, I'm confused, <laughs> right? They complain. They pull away their moms and dads, right? That's just a natural thing because they don't know any better. Jonah is acting like that. He knows better, and yet he doesn't care because he is now in the mode of, this is what I think is right. He knows God. He knows God is almighty and omniscient. But wait, God, now you listen to me. Acting like a baby. There, there is an unofficial theological term for this. It's called a tribal faith. Me, us, our community, you bless us. And that's it. (laughs) If you want to bless other people, okay. But bless us a little more. Is it just Jonah? I wonder if we examine ourselves, we might not think like that at times. I observed these kind of things more um, when I was serving at Korean churches. I mean, I had people just coming up to me and telling me just straight face to face. Like after uh, we preached about um, the offering, for example, like you give one-tenth to God. You know, the point is everything came from God. So even if we give one-tenth, 
Nine-tenth is good enough. God will provide all our needs and more. It's a step of faith thing. It's to show our appreciation, all those things. Like he come, is a wealthy person, beautiful family, and he goes, okay, pastor, you want me to give offering? Okay, I will give my one-tenth. But God better bless me. <laughs> I'm going to just check how much he will bless me. So he's like grinding his teeth but willing to give one-tenth. I mean, you know, we have to start somewhere, right? Okay, I'll pray for you, brother. I'll pray for your family. I'm not making this up. And there's a family whose um, kid went to Ivy League, you know. We have smart kids too, going to Harvard, Yale, Stanford, Brown, Princeton, Cornell, Columbia, whatever. And they would say, you know, I came to 5.30 morning prayer every day. And I prayed to God for my child. And praise God, he delivered. And I understand where this person is coming from. But is that how our prayer works? We come with our prayer items and go, God, bless all these things. And then we go home. Jonah is saying, we deserve this. We're your people. You bless us. You start with us. Those of us who serve more. It's just how, how, it's just, you know, that's how it works. You know, from my observation, past 25 years, that's how it works. Like 20% of people at church doing most of the work. You guys don't just wear one hat, two, three, four hats. That's how it usually works. As you press for time, you know, you're so exhausted Sunday night. You know, you don't even have energy to get up from your couch to go to your room and take a shower and sleep because you're just so exhausted from serving. So you just collapse. Monday comes around, you wake up, get ready, and go to work. And you just think, I'm just so exhausted because I've been serving so much. Do you feel entitlement? God should bless me more. I mean, you don't say it, of course, but do you think that? Do you think it's right? We have a lot of Christians like that. You protect us. But then Christians are not safe, not more than other people. There's some terrible things happen inside the church as well. God doesn't work like that. We all belong to God. God loves all people. God so loved the world. Song we sang today. When you're a baby, it's inevitable that you will talk like a baby. Look at verse 3. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. What a baby prophet. He knows God, and he knows how to disappoint God. God is in charge. If I tell God, just take away my life because I know you're not doing it right. I'm not happy. Whatever you're doing is not working. So just take away my life. He knows how to disappoint God. So that's what he's saying here. Take away my life. Before we make fun of 
Jonah, listen to these people, Job. Then Job cursed the day of his birth. He said, why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Elijah, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. After the Mount Mount Carmel miracle, 850 false prophets against Elijah, he defeated them, and then, then he runs away because he was in fear of Queen Jezebel. He runs all the way from Jezreel to uh, Beersheba, and then some. And then under a juniper tree, he cries out, I'm exhausted. Just take my life, Lord. That was Elijah. How about Jeremiah? For 40 years, he's been preaching the word, and no one is listening. So he's exhausted. And then he says, curse be the day I was born. This is Jeremiah. And then, of course, Moses. He's trying to lead his people, lead God's people. During the 40 years of wandering, this is what it says in Numbers chapter 11. Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. Save me the misery. Just take away my life. That's what Moses said too. Not just Jonah. We are all capable of saying this because we know God. We could be like Jonah. We're just one step away. When things don't go our way, maybe once, okay. Maybe twice, okay. Three times, we might be right here saying all these things. So these are the things that we need to prepare ahead of time so that we don't act like a baby. We don't talk like a baby. I was at a pastor's conference one time, and they divided us into small groups. So we have coffee and dessert, so we're, you know, just enjoying this time. And in a small group setting, we started talking, and we started talking about our, you know, challenges, our blessings, and one of the pastors at the table, he goes, man, uh, I'm having such a hard time. You know, my son is a teenager, and I don't know if all teenagers like this, but we're having such a hard time. Please pray for me. I'm like, yeah, of course, teenagers are all like that. They love you, but then, you know, sometimes they're challenging. But he goes, no, no, you don't understand. This, so this is what happened. So he, he goes on to tell this story. Because just before I came here, my son was just being obnoxious. I mean, so, so I got so angry at him. I got so mad, and I went, <sighs> then I knew I couldn't go through you know, I was right there. I was just, I was trying to manage my emotion, but I went like this to my son. And my 11-year-old son, he ran to the front door. He opened the door and he said, hey, my father is trying to hit me. He's trying to abuse me, and he's a pastor. <laughs> True story. So he goes, I think I need to move to different neighborhoods. <laughs> they all know I'm a pastor, but you know, I'm an abusive pastor. <laughs> so, you know, they don't know any better. But Jonah does. But he's much worse. I mean, how did Jonah get here in the first place? So God calls Jonah. It's a privilege. Jonah, go to Nineveh for me with a message. He goes, nope. He runs away. 
So God pursues Jonah. He sends a storm. He moves the ocean, literally, and sends a great fish to swallow Jonah so that he would have a second chance, so that he would have a time of reflection, so that he could revive himself spiritually. And then he goes to Nineveh, and God performs a miracle where everyone responds to his eight-word sermon message. He should be ecstatic. But even after all that, Jonah goes, nope, I would rather die. So imagine from God's point of view, I don't mean God is limited like us, but we have to have that understanding as we read the next verse, verse 4. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry. Jonah, you know me. After all the things I have done for you and through you, you know my plans. But are you really saying what you're saying? Do you really want to die? God explained. There are 120,000 people in the city who cannot tell their left from their, uh, left from their right, <laughs> like me. <laughs> meaning they have about 600,000 people in the city, just this city alone, and you just want them to perish? When I'm extending my grace, you're angry enough to tell me that you want to die? Don't you know who I am? That's what God is pleading. This is Jonah's response. Verse 5. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city, There he made himself a shelter, sat in his shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Jonah doesn't even have a decency to respond to God. I mean, picture a a child, and you get this picture. Like, the child is unhappy, right? And he doesn't want to talk, you know. So the child turns and just walks away. This is Jonah right now. He doesn't respond to God. He's like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. And he goes away. He says, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. He goes out to the city and he goes, I just want to watch. You do whatever. I'm not going to be a part of it anymore. This is Jonah acting like a baby. He has gone out of the city. Folks, sometimes this is what we need to do exactly. We need to do this. We need to go out. Not like Jonah, just the opposite. Whatever situation we're in, if we catch ourselves acting like a baby, talking like a baby, if we find our brothers and sisters acting like a baby, talking like a baby, we need to grab that person and then go out. You shouldn't stay there. You should not stay in that situation where you continue to complain and it's contagious. If you start complaining about God, then you gain people and you will complain together. It's just how it works. So when you catch yourself or see your brother or sister doing this, you need to grab that person and together you need to go out. Go out of that situation. So you will look God in a different light. So that you will stop acting like a baby. Jonah knew God better than most. 
but he was acting like a baby, talking like a baby, thinking like a baby. I wonder if we could examine our spiritual life this morning. If there is a chance that we might run into this situation in the future, we need to prepare ahead of time so that we will not stay in this situation. So past Friday, I was so blessed. Uh, our youth fellowship, they invited panel. Um, so there was Steve, um, Rachel, Kim, and, and Mark. Uh, and they invited them to talk about the Holy Spirit in their life. How are they walking with the Holy Spirit? How are they um, you know, yielding to the Holy Spirit? How, how are they blessing to be the Holy Spirit? So this was the conclusion of the uh, series, the study of the Holy Spirit. And I wish I could have recorded that session. It was just amazing. People said all the right things, and they shared their personal life, and we were touched and moved and blessed. I really wish we could have recorded this uh, so that I could share with you guys, put it on a website, you know. Uh, it was such a blessing. And I think it was Steve or Kim, they said, oh, well, first thing first, in order for us to live with the Holy Spirit, walk with the Holy Spirit, obey the Holy Spirit, you need to be saved first, right? I'm paraphrasing, but basically that's what they said. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then we receive this Holy Spirit, the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and He lives in us. God is now with us, in us, helping us. So first thing first, if we want to grow out of this phase of being baby Christians, we need to make sure we are saved. And then we need to fix our eyes on God. And we do this, this through worship. It begins with worship. Folks, we don't know how blessed we are to be here on Sunday to worship God. And every Sunday, a lot of places it's not guaranteed. If we go back to the first century Christians, when they were being persecuted, they met. When they took away Peter and John and some other leaders, they still met and worshiped God. When they were being excommunicated and being oppressed, they met. And that's how they gained their strength to face the world, when they worshiped together, when they broke bread together, when they prayed together, when they sang together, when they shared testimonies together. That's our worship. We don't know how blessed we are to be here on Sunday. And we need to make sure that when we come, that we anticipate God's presence, God's blessings, so that we could encounter God together. This is a time when we receive energy so we could go out on Monday through Saturday and fight the fight. A spiritual fight. So it has to start with worship. Then you do your daily worship, daily devotion. When you read the Bible, why do you read the Bible? So that you could apply the Bible. But it doesn't end there. And the best way to compliment a pastor is to compliment his sermon. I'm not begging for something. <laughs> I'm just saying all the pastors will agree with me but there's a right way to do it. I know we appreciate when you say, oh, that was a good sermon today. Like, praise God, thank you. 
We appreciate that. But that's not it. When you say, you know that, you know, the three points you made today, man, that really brought out the scripture. We appreciate it, but that's not it either. The illustrations, man, they were on spot today. Man, ready to go, pastor. We appreciate that because it, it does take time. You have to read, you have to do you know, research you know, you know, put together. All this, it takes time, but that's not it. If you're going to compliment your pastor when Pastor Justin comes back and resume, resumes his preaching duty in April, this is what you should do. You should listen, you should apply. And then when you come back, like a week later or two weeks later, when you catch Pastor Justin, you go, man, you know that sermon you preached a couple of weeks ago? I applied that, and this is what happened. That is the biggest compliment you could get. Or if you could tell him, you know, in my daily devotion, this is what I read, and this is how I applied. Man, Pastor, listen to this. This is what happened. It reminds us we're preaching the living word. We are dealing with the living word. We as a church, we are reading the scripture, the living word, and people are changing. That's what encourages the pastor the most. This is what we need to do. Worship, focus on God. Daily devotion, focus on God. Pray, focus on God. Not just bringing your prayer items and go, hey, this, this, this. No, what do you want me to do? What is your plan? How can I follow that? How could I get involved in that? This is how we should respond. Then we reach out to each other. Go to your small group. If you don't have it, create a small group and let us know. We'll help you. So you could create a new small group and share. Share your life. Share your love of Jesus Christ and all those things. Do all these things. And as a community, that's how we're going to focus on God. That's how we're going to grow. I look forward to that. You know, been there, done that. I told our youth, I have a little scar under, underneath my chin. I told that story. I, I had an argument with my parents. Uh, my father wanted me to stick around and help him. He was just doing some, you know, renovation, remodeling, and he needed my help, you know, hold a ladder and, then, you know, give him this and that. I go, Dad, I need to go to my friend's house. We made a plan today. We're going to play baseball and we're going to do all these things, you know. We're going to eat peanut butter jelly sandwich and we're going to eat chips and we're going to have a lot of fun. I made a plan on, can you just stay for a couple of hours and then go? I said, no. So I got my bike out and I was going to my friend's house. As I reached his cul-de-sac, I thought, I am free. So I was riding my bicycle like this, like, you know, like, I am free. I'm pedaling like this because, you know, I was pretty good at it. And then I I see a rock. I was like, it's no big deal. What's the probability of my bike hitting that rock and something happens? Sure enough, it went over there. The front tire hit this little rock, and then my bike just jumped. And everything went slow motion after that. I'm literally, I, I was in the air for like five minutes. And I could see, oh, how come my bike is going that way? Well, how, I'm in the air. I'm going that way. Wait a minute. Does that mean I'm going to fall? 
well, it's going to be painful, so let me brace myself so I should stick out my two arms. Well, is that good enough? Maybe I should go like this, you know, my martial art kicking in. Uh, this, maybe this is how I should fall. So I'm thinking all these things, and then it went back to normal speed. Boom, and then the momentum carried my face, and then whoosh, my chin hit the pavement, and I was just bleeding profusely. Like, oh, no. Like, what, what do I tell my parents, you know, after this? So I go to my friend's house, and he goes, oh, you know, my next-door neighbor is a nurse. So we go over to her house, and she had a butterfly band-aid. So she cleaned me up, and then she goes, oh, you should go to the hospital and, and get stitched. So otherwise, you won't have a scar. There's no way I'm going to go home and tell my dad, oh, dad, can I go to the hospital? So I stayed at my friend's house. Until it got dark, I went home, and they go, I didn't want them to see me, so I went upstairs and took a shower and changed band-aid, but then, you know, I didn't go to the hospital. So that's why I have a scar. <laughs> it's a reminder for me when I act like a baby. I don't want you to have this kind of permanent scar. It's better when you just, you know, come back when God tells you to come back. without a scar. What we need to catch is the big picture. What's the big picture? The people, they need the Lord more than us. At least we're saved. We know where we're headed. At least we're saved. But some people, they don't know the Lord and they're unsaved. This is the big picture that We need to have. Why are we involved in this type of ministry? Why are we coming to church and all these things? Yeah, worship, fellowship, it's all part of that. But in the end, if this does not translate into going out and sharing the gospel, then we're missing the big picture, folks. Um, this is a song that we're going to sing today. It's called People Need the Lord. It's so old that maybe you don't know. <laughs> But it goes something like this. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, hits the open door. People need the Lord. When we will realize that people need the Lord, and we're going to sing this, uh, but before they come up, um, I want to give a little time of reflection. So I wonder if we could bow our heads and think about our church, ourselves, our family. See if we're might be missing this big picture.
please respond in song with me as we remember that um, there are many people who still haven't heard about the good news.